He spoke us. And take that personal right now. God formed you through his son in your mother's womb. He spoke mankind into existence. Both male and female. He created them in his likeness and in his image. And we go forward to that when we, when we think about now this written word. And those of you who are listening on the podcast and those who are present in person and those who are on the phone, grab your Bibles. Look at these words. Yes, it's ink. And some of your Bibles are in different translations and in different languages. But this is God's word to you. It is priceless and it is precious. And so when we have the word of God, God has given that word, his breathed word, which breathed life into our father Adam's lungs as he formed our father out of a lump of clay. And that not long after that, he took from Adam's rib side and remove a rib and formed our mother, Hava Eve. God is about giving life and eternal life to us. We need to apply God's word and take it serious to honor God's word because God's word represents himself. So anytime when you're meditating on God's word, know this. God is breathing new life in you. His word does not return void. He desires to complete his work in, within us. His word is just and true. And when we stop to think about these stories, these books that are in the Bible, they were, they were, they were saved for us. There's a lot of other stories about people that lived during the time that God reached out to them and revealed himself to them, both as individuals and as families and nations. God spoke into their lives. And just as God's word equipped them for the establishing of God's kingdom in their hearts and minds, then his word is alive today. And so now as we get into God's word, show it the honor which it is due. Not just simply ink on a page formed in different letters, but literally God's word speaking to you personally, equipping and giving you provision for such a time as this. Because it says in the scripture that the Lord knows for both men and women, he's established their days upon this earth. And God, by his grace and mercy, will allow us to reach our full age as he has ordained for us to live. And so today, there's a lot of words being shared on the radio, on the internet, on television, and spoken words to us. But which words are the most important? God's living word, so that we're able to navigate, to be fully equipped, and not deceived by false teaching, by deception from the adversary Hasatan himself. We are to be people of God's word, listening to Abba Father God, 
through his son Yeshua and also being receiving confirmation by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of the living God. And so, Father, we ask today that your word will become more alive in our hearts and minds. And even though we're familiar with your word, that gives us confirmation and putting our trust that the words that you've said, the prophecies that you've said, through the holy prophets and apostles of old, not today, but of old, are yes and amen, and they shall be fulfilled according to your orchestration in our lives and the lives of those yet to be born. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Part 3, Acts of Yeshua's Emissaries, the Shalakim. Chapter 23, beginning at verse 1. For some of you on the podcast, you may be thinking, well, Rabbi, you always read the whole chapter. Well, to have a Hebraic mindset... We're so blessed to have written words on pages in Bibles. But the people of the first century and prior to that time did not have God's written word accessible to them only in the Torah scrolls. They did not have their own personal copy. And so it was through the hearing and the proclaiming of God's word that they were fully equipped and the Spirit would be speaking through them, the Ruach, so that they were able to, do, to uh, discern whether or not what that individual shared was of God or of himself. So let us go forward together. Shaul looked straight at them and said, Brothers, I've been distar- discharging my obligations to God with a perfectly clear conscience right up until today. Isn't that a beautiful testimony? Isn't that not the testimony that we all desire to have? Absolutely. Let's go forward here. But the Kohen Hagadol, who is what? The high priest. Hananiah ordered those standing near him to strike him on the mouth. Then Shaul said to him, God will strike you, you wash, whitewashed wall. While you sit there judging me according to the Torah, yet in violation of the Torah, Order me to be struck. The men nearby said, This is a Kohen Haggadah, the high priest of God, that you're insulting. Shaul said, I didn't know, brothers, that he was a Kohen Haggadah, for it says in the Torah, You are not to speak disparagingly of a ruler of your people. Verse 6 But knowing that the one part of the Sanhedrin consisted of the Zudakim, the Sadducees, and the other, the Parashim, the Pharisees, Shaul shouted, Brothers, I am a Parush, a Pharisee, a son of Parashim, Pharisees, and it is concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I'm being tried. See, this is his summary right here. He said, this is the focal point. This is why I'm here. Because I testify to the resurrection of the dead. As a young boy, Rav Shaul received that teaching, the promise. As he read in the the scroll of Daniel, 
that one day Adonai Elohim shall raise up his righteous ones and their names will be inscribed in the book of life. Let's go forward here. Verse 7. When he said this, an argument arose between the Pershim, the Pharisees, and the Zudakim, the Sadducees. And the crowd now was divided. And I can just picture this in my mind. Men are standing right next to one another. And they're turning towards one another. And they're engaging in argument with one another. The Sadducees are saying, you're completely out of your mind. No one's going to raise from the dead. We do not believe in the resurrection. But the Pharisees are turning to them and say, yes, we do believe in the resurrection of the righteous ones unto life. And this argument is going on. And they're, they're, they're intensely arguing with one another. And think about the background here. This is a celebration of Shavuot. The very time and season when God gave the Torah, the Ten Commandments, on Mount Sinai. And fast forward to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It's also the time of the season, 20-some years earlier, where the Ruach HaKodesh was poured out on the 120 who were assembled in the upper room, all being Jews, both male and female. The time and the season. So going forward here. For the Zudakim deny the resurrection and the existence of angels and spirits, whereas the Purushim, the Pharisees, acknowledge both. They believe that both exist both the resurrection and angels. Verse 9, So there was a great uproar with the some of the Torah teachers who were on the side of the Purushim, standing up and joining in. We don't find anything wrong with this man. Who's the man they're speaking of? Rav Shaul. And if a spirit or an angel spoke to him, what of it? The dispute became so violent that the commander, who's the commander? Commander of the Roman army, fearing that Shaul would be torn apart by them, ordered soldiers to go down and take him by force and bring him back into the barracks. So basically, they had to grab a hold of him and haul him away. Going forward here, verse 11. That following night, Yeshua stood by him and said, and this just amazes me. This says, that Yeshua is alive. Literal proof of being resurrected from the dead. Is not Yeshua alluded to as the first of the resurrection? Absolutely. And just as we know this, when we lay a beloved family member or friend, we know hope and we know this, that just as Yeshua was raised from the dead, someday they shall also be raised from the dead. And just think about that in the context here. What was Rav Shaul's argument with the, with the Sadducees on the resurrection of the dead? 
What more proof does Rav Shaul need than having the one who's called the first of the resurrection of the dead to now appear before him? And this is not a vision. This is not a dream. This is really Yeshua glorified, manifesting himself for such a time as this because Shaul was standing alone. I believe that there were a lot of Messianic uh, believers that were praying and interceding for him. But he's now standing here. And he needs encouragement. What better encouragement could you have than to have God's only son come and stand right next to you? That word might be simplified in this. He's standing shoulder to shoulder with his representative on earth, who is Rav Shaul. Let's go forward here. Following, the following night, the Lord Yeshua stood by him and said, Take courage. Isn't that good words? What do we need today? Living in the midst of this pandemic, as our world is changing, whatever country you're currently living in, there's change going on, is there not? Things as they once were are no longer. There's division in every nation. Borders are being removed. Who established the borders and established the nations? But Adonai Elohim, God himself. So we're going through a time of transition, a time of undoing of God's will so that God's will and prophecy will be fulfilled in the near future. I truly believe we live in the last days. I believe that Yeshua shall return for his bride, both Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah. And that God on his throne is orchestrating all these things. Does not his word say that one day there will be a one world government? a one-world religion, and a one-world currency. And we're just on the thresholds of this becoming a reality. Economic powers like the United States are becoming more and more diminished. United States as a military power. Think of what happened in Afghanistan. This last summer, there's a changing of the guard. Look what happened in Israel. A statement, statesman, Benjamin Netanyahu, has been removed. So that someone who makes deals is now saying one thing and then doing the opposite. There's a shaking going on in this world. And I believe this, that the world is getting ready for the anti-Messiah to appear and take control. But what does Yeshua say to Rav Shaul? Take courage. Take courage in what? God's promised word. Who has your back? But Messiah Yeshua. Are you hearing what the shepherd is speaking to you? Are you not his sheep? Do you hear his voice?
We're entering times when we need to hear the shepherd's voice as never before. And we're to do what? To occupy until he comes. That's why he says here, take courage. For just as you have been a faithful witness to me. To whom? To Yeshua. Who are we to bear before all people? Whose name are we to exalt? Some rabbi, some pastor, some false prophet, some false apostle? No, we're to lift up Yeshua that he may draw all people unto himself. We're to follow Rav Shaul's example here. This is Yeshua's own testimony of what Rav Shaul confirming. I have need to read verse 1 to you again. Shaul looked straight at them and said, Brothers, I've been discharging my obligations to God with perfectly clear conscience right up to today. Verse 11. The following night, the Lord Yeshua stood by him and said, Take courage, for just as you have borne witness to me in Jerusalem, confirmation of what Rav Shaul's words were in verse 1, so now you must bear witness in Rome. Your job's not done. I'm not going to allow them to take your life here in Jerusalem. There's another day. I'm sending you to Rome. So take courage. I have your back. We need that encouragement today. Because we as believers are about to face persecution as never before. Why? Because we stand by God's word, which is true. Isn't it amazing how the society now is trying to change what is true? The identity of what a man is? Rabbi, don't go there. And the identity of what a woman is? And you can decide at the whim of your own thinking to go from being a male to a female or a female to a male? Are we not to walk by God's truth and his word alone? Absolutely. Are we willing to count the cost of being silenced so that we may bear the sufferings of Messiah in proclaiming the truth? Let's go forward in the scripture. The next day, verse 12 The next day, some of the Judeans, the leaders, formed a conspiracy. They took an oath saying they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Shaul. You know, there are members of the Taliban right now that want to eradicate any Christian, Afghani. And they're searching for them to eliminate their lives and their testimony of what is true. Father, we lift up our Afghani brothers and sisters too right now. And those in China and in Russia and around the whole world who are currently suffering for their testimony, which is, I know, and I've been become a new creation in Messiah, Yeshua. We lift up them to you right now. We pray, Father, for your intervention in their lives that they be of courage. Strengthen them if it has been your ordination for them to be as martyrs, almighty God. 
We know that this will happen soon in America too. All nations of the earth shall turn against the Jewish people and your holy people who have been called out from the nations. We know that's part of prophecy for the latter days. But we know that our Redeemer is coming back for his bride. Both Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah. Father, may we wake up to this reality. As we read about how our brother Shaul is facing persecution and how he stands to proclaim God's word, to be as a drink offering being poured out for the glory of God the Father, we ask this in Yeshua's name. And Father, we pray for those men and women who are hearing our brothers' and sisters' testimonies. May you convict their hearts Rent the veil from their eyes so that Satan will not gain a victory over this person created in God's image and likeness, whether they be male or female. May their names be inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Book of Life. According to your plan and will, we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Going forward here. Verse 12, the next day, some of the Judeans formed a conspiracy. They took an oath saying they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Shaul. More than 40 were involved in this plot. They went to the head koinim and the elders and said, we have bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food until we have killed Shaul. What? you are to do is to make it appear to the commander that you and the Sanhedrin want to get more accurate information about Shaul's case so that he will bring him down to you while we for our part are prepared to kill him before he ever gets here. That's your spiritual brothers from your own family of the 12 tribes of Israel. Here is a person who's supposed to be God's representative on the earth. The high priest is involved in this. Is there not a veil over their eyes? Has not Hasatan deceived them? Do not they believe in false doctrine? Has not Hasatan twisted God's holy word in their minds. Absolutely. And if not for the grace and mercy of God, there go we. Going forward here. Verse 16. Now things change. But the son of Shaul's sister got wind of the planned ambush. And he went into the barracks and told Shaul. Shaul called one of the officers and said, take this man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, the prisoner Shaul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the hand and led him aside privately and asked, What is it that you have to tell me? He said, The Judean leaders, they want to investigate his case more thoroughly. 
But don't let them, but don't let them let yourself be talked into it because more than 40 men are lying in wait for him. They had taken an oath neither to eat nor drink until they kill him. And they are ready now, only waiting for you to give your consent to their request. The commander let the young man go, cautioning him. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he summoned two of his captains and said, Get 200 infantry men ready to leave from Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight, and 70 mounted cavalry and 200 spearmen. Also provide replacements for Shaul's horse when it gets tired, and bring him safely to Felix the governor. The commander wrote the following letter. From Claudius Lysias to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Judean leaders and was about to be killed by him. When I came on the scene with my troops and rescued him, after learning that he was a Roman citizen, I wanted to understand exactly what they were charging him with, so I brought him down to their Sanhedrin, their ruling body of religious authority. I found that he was charged in connection with the questions of their Torah, but that there was no charge deserving death or even prison. But when I was informed of the plot against the man, I immediately set him, sent him to you and also ordered his accusers to state their case against him before you. So the soldiers following their orders took Shaul during the night and brought him to Antipatris, then returned to the barracks after leaving the cavalry to go on with him. The cavalry took him to Caesarea, delivered the letter to the governor, and handed Shaul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what providence was he from. On learning he was from Cilicia, he asked, he said, I will give you a full hearing after your accusers have also arrived and ordered him to be kept under guard in Herod's headquarters. So with this, as we look at verse 1, Shaul looked straight at them and said, Brothers, I've been discharging my obligations to God with perfectly clear conscience right up until today. With Shaul looking at them straight in the eye, not just one individual, but many there. He probably was very familiar with them as he had once served on the Sanhedrin years earlier. He says, brothers, to these people, to Shaul himself, he still considered them his own brothers. However, there was no formal meeting of a Sanhedrin. This was simply a gathering of worship. For brothers is not a mode addressed appropriate for a court in regular session, as if he was standing before the Sanhedrin. This gathering was summoned by whom? By the Roman commander. In no other Sanhedrin sessions does a person being questioned commence with preceding a speech on his own. And to look for full uh, qualification of this, 
we would now turn to Acts chapter 2, excuse me, Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. Because we need to relate this in the context of Scripture. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. See, we're to compare Scripture upon Scripture, and how much even more important with it's in the same context of a book, the book of Acts. So here we are in Acts chapter 4, verse 5. The next day, the people's rulers, the elders and the Torah teachers, assembled in Jerusalem, along with Anan, the Kohen Haggadol. Notice here, this is 20-some years earlier. There's a different high priest. And Kayapha and Yohanan, Alexander, and other men from the family of the Kohen Haggadol. And those of us who are living today, think about the time when Luke wrote this book of Acts as he was being inspired by the Spirit of the living God. And the Spirit of the living God told him to mention these people by name because the recipients of the book of Acts would fully recognize these individuals as being alive and well and being part of the high priest's family. They had the emissaries stand before them and ask, by what power or in what name did you do this? Kepha Peter, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being examined today about a good deed done for a disabled person, If you want to know how he was restored to health, then let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that is in the name of the Messiah, Yeshua from Nazareth, whom you had executed on the stake as a criminal, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you perfectly healed." Think about what Rav Shaul said, that the the crux of the argument of bringing charges against him were on the proof, literally, of the resurrection of the dead. Notice here we hear Yeshua mentioned as the one who God himself, Adonai Elohim, had raised from the dead. And it's in his name that they spoke. And now this man stands before you perfectly healed. This, Kepha goes on to say, this Yeshua is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become what? The cornerstone. And to those of us who are reading this maybe for the first time, or maybe you've read this passage before, what is that a reference to? But the book of Tehillim, which is Psalms 118.22. So he's quoting literal scripture to them. And this scripture is warming in their hearts because it gives testimony of what God is doing. So going forward here, there is salvation in no one else. And we who are of the Messianic Jewish, both Jews and Gentiles, know that the word salvation is in Hebrew, but Yeshua, there is Yeshua in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by whom we must be saved. Do you hear that replacement, theologists? There is only one name that you are saved. 
It is the name Yeshua himself. All Jews are to proclaim the name of Yeshua to be saved and acknowledge him as Messiah. Verse 13, when they saw how bold Kepha and Yohanan, both Peter and John were, even though they were untrained, am ha which mean common people, people of the land. They were amazed, and they also recognized them as having being with Yeshua. Moreover, since they could see the man who had been healed standing right before there beside them, there was nothing they could do to discredit the healing. So they told them to stop. So they, so they told them to step away from the Sanhedrin while they discussed the matter privately. What can we do with these men? They asked each other. Why, anyone in Jerusalem can see that a remarkable, remarkable miracle has happened, has come about through them. We can't possibly deny it, but to prevent it from being spreaded any further among the people, let us warn them not to speak any more to anyone in this name. And what was the name given to them to proclaim to everyone that they came across? But the name of Yeshua. That command has not changed from then to us today. We're to lift up and proclaim Yeshua unto them. Because in him, there's no other way to the Father. Going forward here, verse 18. So they called them again and ordered them under no circumstances to speak or teach in the name of Yeshua. But Kepha, Peter, and Yohanan, John answered, you must judge whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God. See, this is really putting them on the spot. As they know this, we are to be moved by what? By the spirit of the living God who speaks to our conscience of what to do. Even when man says you're not to do this or to say it. We, have an, we owe an account to God. Because Yeshua said this, did he not? Whoever denies me before the Father on this earth, so shall I deny them in my Father's presence. That's very clear, is it not? Let's go forward here. Going on verse number 20. As for us, we can't help keep talking about what we have actually seen and heard. They threatened them some more, but finally they let them go. They couldn't punish them because the people, for everyone who was praising God over what had happened, since the man who had been miraculously healed was more than 40 years old. And going on now to Acts chapter 5.21. And this is a portion of scripture we'll end today. As we examine... Line upon line, precept upon precept. After hearing that, they entered the temple and around dawn began to teach. Now the Kohen Haggadol, the high priest and his associates came and called the meeting of the Sanhedrin, that is Israel's whole assembly of elders, and sent to jail to have them brought. But the officers who went did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we have... We have found no one inside. When the captain of the temple police and the head koinim heard these things, they were puzzled and wondered what had happened 
Then someone came and reported to them, listen, the men you ordered it to be put in prison are now standing in the temple court, teaching the people. The captain and his officers went and brought them, but no, not with force, because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. They conducted them to the Sanhedrin, where the Kohen Haggadol, the high priest, demanded of them, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Listen here, you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings. Moreover, you are determined to make us responsible for this man's death. Kepha, Peter, and the other emissaries answered, we must obey God, not men. That's a word for us today. Who are you obeying? As our government is changing, as believers are being persecuted around the world, are we going to obey God? Or are we going to obey men? Verse 30. The God of our fathers. That speaks of Exodus chapter 3.15. Has raised up Yeshua. See they're giving glory to him who is due all glory and honor. They turn them and have them face towards their living God has raised up Yeshua, whereas you men killed him by having him hanged on his stake. God has exalted this man, and he's at his right hand. Hanged on the stake is from Deuteronomy 12, 21, 22 through 23. And that God has exalted this man, and he's at his right hand is Psalm 110.1. As ruler and savior, in order to enable Israel to do what? Teshuva, acts of true repentance, and, and have her sins forgiven. We are witness to these things, so it is the Ruach HaKodesh, whom God has given to those who obey him. On hearing this, the members of the Sanhedrin were infuriated and wanted to put the emissaries to death. But one of their members of the Sanhedrin rose to his feet, a parush, a Pharisee, the name of Gamiel, a teacher of the Torah, highly re respected by all the people. He ordered the men put outside for a little while and then addressed the court. See, he wanted things to kind of simmer down for these men who were coming unglued to regain their composure because they were supposed to be the, the spiritual leaders, the ones who were to discern what Torah meant, and how it applied to the people. Men of Israel, take care of what you do to these people. Some time ago, there was rebellion under Todah, who claimed to be somebody special. And a number of men, maybe 400, rallied behind him. But upon his being put to death, his whole following was broken up and came to nothing. After this, Yehuda HaGeli, led another uprising back at the time of the enrollment of the Roman tax. And he got some of the people to defect to him. But he was killed and all his followers were scattered. So in present case, my advice to you is not to interfere with these people, but to leave them alone. For if this idea or this movement has human origin, it will collapse. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. You might even find yourselves fighting God. 
See, when the governments of this world raises up against God's people, they're not fighting with us, but they're literally fighting with God because we are God's representative of truth and life, being filled and inspired and equipped by the Ruach HaKodesh to do the Father's will, and that is to build his kingdom. They heeded his advice after summoning the emissaries and flogging them. They commanded them not to speak in the name of Yeshua and let them go. The emissaries left the Sanhedrin overjoyed at having been considered worthy of suffering disgrace on the count of him. Who's the him but Yeshua himself? And not for a single day, either in the temple court or in private homes, did they stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Yeshua is the Messiah. Ra Shaul's whole life, after receiving, having that veil removed from his eyes, was to live and to die, to proclaim and to glorify Yeshua, God's son. We should do likewise. Shabbat shalom.